Uh, we are back on another extra basis with Bristol and Booth, and um, I have to come clean. Yesterday, something happened, which has never happened in the history of this podcast, Jeremy. I thought I was recording, and I wasn't recording, and now we have to do this thing all over again. So, man to man, I just wanted to say I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> I'm. That's fine. I love talking baseball. We all make mistakes. I've made plenty of them. And the fact that we need to talk about it again, there's worse things that have happened. So this is, we're, we're good. Let's go. We'll, we'll work past this. We'll work through it. My, I'm actually likening it to everybody setting up for batting practice and then someone forgetting the baseballs or the batting practice pitcher. I think it's more the batting practice pitcher. Yeah. I think the baseballs were there. The swings were there. All that stuff. I think it's more about the pitcher. What are you doing? So I, you know, I'm sitting at a different angle because of the sunlight. And I got to tell you though, the sunlight, man, you've got this, you've got this glow this morning, man. Like I've got bad light. I look like I've aged 15 years, and you've got this, you've got this like. Well, you know, like we've got so many. Uh, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. But we got so many of these wipes now everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had an extra wipe sitting on my desk, and I decided to clean my screen there for a second. And I got a shower towel that I haven't used yet. That's good this morning. I'm, be, I'm just being honest. Went to went to bed. Haven't you haven't had the workout of the shower yet? And kind of a kind of a was up late. So this is my towel. For that later. makes two of us. That makes yep. two of us. So I'm just uh, the shower towel wiped the screen, but you know it is what it is. I don't remember what we talked about first last time, but I'm going to say this: Should we get the Carlos Correa support group going for? For the Houston community, knowing that uh, Carlos Correa, I think, is um, out of here. Peace out. Um, I think people should have been making their peace with that as soon as Lindor signed his contract, you know, and, and Tatis's contract, which is could be great, could be absurd. Obviously, we're still a little early. Um, when you put that together, there's no way the Astros are going to pay Lindor that, and there's no way Lindor is going to sign for, you know, something he doesn't see as market value. And of course, one thing we did talk about yesterday was you said, I believe you said Keith Law, uh, who's a friend of mine, ranked Correa as his number one free agent. And if that's the case, um, good luck with that because he's going to use that and those people are going to go use that as leverage and the war numbers and he's going to go get paid, paid. So how about this light coming in? I was just fine a second ago. Yeah, it was fine. And now it's like, um, it's like the heavens have come down. Now that's better, better a little right, we'll bit. Go back, to this, go back to this view. My goodness, what a listening experience this is going to be for the people. I'm trying to find the right spot. So at 3 p.m. Houston time on Friday, the Astros will be, that is horrible. The Astros will have uh, Dusty Baker, James Click, and Jim Crane for their end of season news conference. From what I can recall, typically at an end of season news conference, it's only the manager and the general manager. I'm guessing because Jim Crane is involved and Bob Nightingale from USA Today hinted at this, that um, Dusty Baker, it will be announced that Dusty Baker is returning as manager. I believe that you're on board with this. Yeah, I think he should be the manager in Houston as long as they have a window to compete. And, and that's, a, well, I say that because, you know, if they compete for the next 10 years, he won't be here for 10 years. But, you know, right now in the immediate future, it's a, to me, it's at least a two-year deal with an option for a third. I believe he was here with a one and a one, right? Like the first one's round was a one and a one. 
Um, <clears throat> but this time, I think he's he's more than earned um, another opportunity. I think the one and the one made sense the first time because it was AJ Hinch's team, because it was something he was stepping into when he stepped into it, because it was uh, let's see if this is a fit because of where the Astros were with their culture. I, but he's done a great job. Um, you know, he he there's there's a, a misstep in Game Four of the series, which we'll we'll discuss, I'm sure. But it was. Um, you know, it was one that they made as a group. <clears throat> it's not uh, a whole lot different than the misstep I'm using Will Harris in 2019 every five seconds that the Astros did. It caught up to him in game seven. So, um, you know, in, in my mind, he's their manager in 22, 23. And, you know, Tuve and Bregman, of course, expire after 24. It depends what they decide what they're going to do with that window. But I would say 24 as well. I was a bit surprised after World Series game six that, Dusty had said that it's progress that we went from the ALCS to the World Series. I don't look at it as progress because they've been there before. So I thought that was a bit odd. Now I grant it. Now granted, I understand that Dusty Baker hasn't been part of this organization for this entire era. I just thought it was interesting that he would say progress. Was that the wrong choice of words? Did you think? Yeah, you know, uh, I. And it's prog he's right. It's progress because they're better than they were a year ago. Um, but when you're talking about progress, you usually mean the, the uh, it can be the entire organization, which clearly there was progress there. It can mean the, um, it can mean the uh, entire uh, same players you had and how they grew. Um, but I think when you get to five, you know, ALCS is in a row. I think when you have three World Series in five years, you're, you're talking about meeting expectations. And once you want a title in a city, um, it becomes meeting expectations. And this is still a fresh title. Now, if it's 15 years ago or 20 years ago, uh, for example, whenever the Rockets won their last, you know, basketball NBA title, which I think was the 80s, right? Is that right? 80s or early 90s? 90s. 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 Yeah. Yep. So um, that's going to be something where Rockets fans are going to be like, well, we just want to compete. We want to get there. We want to try to win. We want to win a championship, but there's no expectation to win a championship every year. There's just a hunger. Um, but the city in baseball was one championships now and, or a championship, and, uh, they're really hungry for more. So he's the right guy to continue to do it. But the term that I would have is meeting expectations. 2019 team underachieved 2021 team overachieved. That's my take. And I'm stay I'm sticking with it. Yeah, I, I, 2019, I would agree. I thought they were a pretty good club that should have beat the Nationals. Um, pretty good club. Come yeah. on. I mean, in 2020, um, no matter who won it, and this is no disrespect to the Dodgers or anybody else, it's a 60-game season. So it's really a snapshot of everything, and, and pardon the, fr the, the phrase here, there really is another way to put it, everything analytic, right? Because you can swing as hard as you want. You can have pitchers who aren't in shape. They're going to throw a couple innings. The workloads are different. The training was different. It's bullpenning, you know, till the cows come home. And it's everything you can think of um, in that 60-game stretch. When you get to 162, plus the amount of games they played in the postseason, plus spring training, now you have a full year. I mean, we had baseball in November, um, on November 2nd, right? We still had baseball, which is, it's, I don't care how you look at it, that's uncommon. So it tells you um, it's a much different, race and so in, in 2021 i would actually say for the things that they had uh here i would say they overachieved a little bit with some of the things they had coming at them and, and i does it's a testament to their makeup and who they really are as players but i think they overachieved and the injuries i mean lance mccullers if lance mccullers is good to go for the world series 
I think it's a different series. I don't know if the Astros would win, but there's two games right there that I have to believe that the Astros would have at least not have to dip into their bullpen in the third inning or the second inning. So I think if Lance McCullers is on the, is, is, is good to go. It's a different series. I don't know if Jake Myers would make that much of a difference, but, and everybody's banged up. I think we can agree that Alex Bregman's not hundred percent. Michael Brantley, he had some injuries at the end of the season and then Zach Greinke with what he was dealing with. So again, I put all that together and that's why I think that they overachieved. Yeah, I agree. I, I can't argue that. Um, you know, on the flip side of the coin, you know, what's, what's scary is how good Atlanta can be. And they have, you know, they had some pieces they were missing. One of the best players in baseball was Ron Lacuna. And we forget about him because, you know, out of sight, out of mind in this game. But at the same time, you've got Rosario and Soler and Peterson who played so well for the Braves that together they kind of made up for what he would have um, he would have done plus some. So, you know, when they get him back, Acuna, <coughs> it's going to be interesting to see how that um, – how that one plays into the bigger picture. In the no surprise category, the Astros have uh, picked up the option on Yuli Gurriel. Eight million bucks, I think it is, for a batting champ. No brainer. I did see something, and and I don't want to... I don't want to knock the writer because it's one of these fan sites, but someone said, this person said, hey, the Astros can actually be creative if they lose Carlos Correa. They can move Alex Bregman to shortstop, and, and Yuli Gurriel can play third. Yuli Gurriel is 37 years old. He's not going to be able to play third for an extended stretch of time. Alex Bregman is not a shortstop anymore. He's played third base. Not to say that he can't play there for a couple of games or for a week or something like that, but 162 games – Alex Bregman is a different player and that's not a knock. I mean, he's a better player, but I, I, I just, that kind of stuff is just maddening to me that it gets posted on the internet and people think that this could actually be an option. It's not an option. Those are not two options. No, 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 no. Yeah. There's no chance that happens today. Five years ago. Yeah. I mean, it could have happened. Um, Bregman's the type of guy that he settled in that position. Um, you know, he's, he's worked hard to convert to that position. Um, he's, he's, his legs have a little less stress in that position. Um, he can play shortstop when he needs to for a day or two. I mean, he can fill in there. If somebody's hurt, he can make the run. But, you know, there's a lot more to do at shortstop, um, you know, mentally. It's a different – each position is different, different mental preparation. And, uh, you know, some of that stuff is taken away with some of the shifting that we do in this game today. You know, we move guys into different spots as opposed to just playing traditional positions. But – Yuli Gurriel, you know, when I scouted him, could still play short. And um, over time, which happens to everybody, that the, the left side of the infield becomes harder to keep up with speed-wise. And, you know, he's such a good, pure hitter um, with obviously a phenomenal year and winning a batting title. You know, it's, it's a no-brainer that he comes back, but it's absolutely at first base. And maybe even if you didn't have an Alvarez, he's a DH candidate. You know, it's not because he's bad at first base. It's to give him a break, right? So um, whoever wrote that, you know, I – if this is 2018, maybe, but not in 2022. It was interesting in Keith's um, list of free agents, Guriel was on there because it, there's the potential he could have been a free agent had his option not been picked up. It's funny that 
and he and Keith got a little slack for this online was that he called Guriel a bad first baseman defensively. Um, I don't think he's a bad first baseman. Keith was basically saying the metrics he he doesn't um, the metrics don't mean as much to him, and I'm paraphrasing. Uh, and then some people were saying, "Well, I've watched Guriel for every every game, and he's been really good." And Keith's point was, which was an excellent one, excellent one was, "Yeah, you're you're watching Guriel every game, but you're not then watching everybody else in the league." I don't think he's a bad first baseman. I actually think he's pretty good. I don't. I haven't looked at the metrics in terms of his range and all that, but the eye test tells me that he's average to above average. But again, maybe it's just because we watch him all the time, and and that's Keith's point. Um, I think there's three things there. The first thing is, no matter what the metrics say defensively, I'll openly say that I've used them as a reference. I don't buy into them. I just, I don't buy into them. I think there's too much technology that's needed to, to, to get that right. I think there is, uh, there's formulas and any formula you show me for stuff like that, I can show you one that isn't and the eye, that, that's opposite. And the eye test has to carry on that. Now, um, the eye test with Yuli Gurriel is he is a above average first baseman. Is he a, uh, what we call a six? Is he, is he a seven? No, he's not that. But is he a, at least a 50 to 55? Yeah, he's really good around the bag with his hands and feet, and he works at, works at it. So if, if the point of a first baseman really is to make sure that he's athletic enough and his hands and feet work enough to save the other infielders, and you do have some guys there who have scattered a little bit, like a Bregman at times scatters the ball. Um, Altuve has had some throwing issues at times. Correa for the most part, delivers the ball pretty much in the right, in the same spot every time. So, um, you know, when you're talking about what he has to account for, that's what that's what we mean. But sometimes metrics won't come out the right way or the same way because there's less chances to make mistakes. And so if he's in a situation where he's got a good infield and he does, he's in a situation where he's got you get around the bag and he is, and he's what this team needs. And watching him every day has nothing to do with what the rest of the league is. Now, if you're ranking the rest of the league based on metrics and he comes out of a certain area, well, that's fine. That doesn't make him a bad first baseman. So I think he's a, uh, I think he's, what I'll give is a 55 first baseman. Some days he's a six, some days he's a 45, but he's an average to above average everyday first baseman and he's fine around the bag and he's, he's good enough around the bag and he's certainly not a liability. So um, that's where he plays. And, and I understand why Keith took some heat and I also understand why he made the argument. On KHO, you love a news. You mentioned your turning point for the World Series was game three and four, although heavily slanted toward four. Do you still feel that way? H have you changed your tune at all, or was that still the still the game that 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 turned the series? Game four, fifth inning. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I can't, the more I thought about it, the more I was curious about how that could sneak up on it. And, you know, you go back, I told you at the time that could turn the series. And I said, definitely turn the game. My, my concern was Dusty's answer and Dusty's answer said that Stanek gets ready faster. So they went to Stanek. Yeah. So Zach Greinke is your starter. He's on a fairly limited pitch count because he hasn't pitched a lot. He pitches right. really well. And you're telling me they should go Christian Javier to get some length that way. They're not playing Johnny Holstaff for that game. They got a guy in there that can give them two or three innings and then save a few arms. And instead, and they go to Ryan Stanek early, some other guys, Javier comes in late, gives up two homers. And 
that's the story. Yeah, and and so when you know looking at at that situation, Stanek coming in the game for me is a concern because it says that situation snuck up on him and it put and Javier still pitched. It'd be different if Javier was down and didn't pitch at all that game and was was banged up, but he was obviously pitched and gave up a home run to Soler, if I remember right. So um, you know, when you're in that in that situation to pitch guys out of order, it changes their mindset, it changes their durability, it changes what they're prepared to do. Um, you know, and the answer of Javier needs more time would make sense if you weren't planning for it. If you should have been planning for Granky to come out of the game, like Granky even said in his post game that he was at the almost at the end of his rope, so he was just about done. Um, you know, what the only way that happens is if you don't know you're going to hit for for Granky in that situation, and then you have to rush to get Stanek ready. Who can be ready faster? Stanek, let's go. And Javier, you're going to go behind Stanek, which I think is you went two behind him. Like I think it was Whaley that came in after that, and then it was so um, that's out of order. It should have been Javier Whaley. Um, and then stand at Graveman, whatever you had to do. And you probably get through that with, you know, two or three arms or four for the game instead of six. Of course, Presley had to throw two innings that night. And the next night didn't throw it all. They won. Didn't matter. But, um, you know, they could have come back to Houston up 3-2. And we talked about home field advantage, meaning you want two shots to win one game at the back end of the series. And you can't because if you have eight, one game that goes bad, you can't. There's no, no tomorrow. And that's what happened. I was interested because that score was so lopsided. It was seven, nothing. I went back. It was the first time a team had been shut out in a closeout game since 2005 Astros against the white Sox game four, the deciding game four. it was the most lopsided win or closeout game shut out since 1985. When the Royals beat the Cardinals 11 to nothing in game seven, game seven, 11, nothing. And it was the most lopsided closeout game involving a shutout for a home team since 1956. Yankees beat the Dodgers in Brooklyn 9-0. That was also a game seven. I also found this interesting, Jeremy, that the Astros hit just two homers, both by Jose Altuve. I thought, wow, that's not a lot of home runs. So I went and looked it up. It's not the fewest home runs in a World Series. In fact, in the last 30 years, the 99 Braves, I have my research right here. The 99 Braves hit one home run. They lost. However, seven other teams in the last 30 years, seven have hit two home runs in a World Series. Five of those seven went on to win the World Series. So, yes, you can have a power outage. But what it tells me is that if you're going to have a power outage, you better have some damn good pitching to overcome it. And yeah. look at these teams. Listen to these teams. 96 Yankees. They had two homers. They won. 2003 Marlins. They hit two homers. They won. 2006 Cardinals. They hit two homers and won. The 2015 Royals. And remember them? They ran out bullpen arm after bullpen arm after bullpen arm. They won. And then... Um, I jumped ahead, but the 2014 Giants, I think they had some guy named Madison Baumgartner, uh, two home runs and they won. Those are all pretty dominant staffs that counterbalance when the offense, you know, has a, has a, a tough week, you know, and, and that's, that's lots of times the postseason isn't necessarily about the best team. I do think the Braves <clears throat> showed that on any given night, they're the best team, they're the champions and they deserved it and they earned it. And that was it. They capitalized on every possible mistake 
uh, the Astros made. But, the, you know, postseason, a lot of times is about who's playing the best at that time and who's got it all clicking. And so, um, you know, that's that's what you've seen in those type of World Series. And that's what you see right now. Although I do think in 2015, the Royals were the best team. I do think in 2014, the Giants were the best team. Um, the Yankees in 96 was the beginning of a dynasty. Right. So that was a pretty good run. Um, I think you said something about 2003 in there. Yeah, that was the Marlins. I think that was the Josh Beckett series, wasn't that? Yeah, he was still with them then before. He but I think to- that's that was like, wasn't that like his coming out party, if I'm not mistaken? Somewhere in there. Or was yeah. that Don Trell? Well, it was both, I think. I mean, both. I and mean, they, they had a pretty good young core at the time. You know, there's some good people in, 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 in uh, Miami, Florida at the time helping build that. Michael Hill was there. Um, Josh Beckett, World Series MVP. Yeah. So I mean, you know, those guys put that together. Um, you know, they did it. They did it. They did a pretty good job with that club for a while. And the Marlins were good for a pretty good stretch. Josh Beckett, that series. It's funny. He was MVP based on one game. Really, he was uh, one and one with a complete game. Struck out nineteen in sixteen innings. Yeah, he was pretty good that series. Yep. There you go. Pretty good. Brad Penny won two games in that series. Brad Penny won two games. So here's something. We always do your scouting reports, Jeremy. And I wanted to try something different this year because usually we're looking at the top of your scouting reports. Yep. So this time, with your permission, I would like to go from the bottom of your scouting reports. The, the last guy on a list, what happened to that guy? All right, let's go. Let's go with 2012. Okay. The last guy on your list. Oh, my God, I just noticed the area scout. That's going to open up a whole can of worms. <laughs> it wasn't. I know who the scout was. I can tell you, because just by the way you said it. But who, what's the player? Matthew Snyder, first baseman, Ole Miss. Yeah, I remember him. <laughs> Strongest guy on my list. He held everybody else up, up above him. <laughs> well, you said um, you said uh, all power bat with limited field to hit, backup first baseman in I think it would be minor league role or ML. I can't. It's a lowercase it's, L. With it's, the- it's MLB. It just okay. You have to you have to shoot for their ceiling when sure, you're sure. to report. So he was. Whatever. I, I, I wasn't a huge fan, a fan at all. No but. positional versatility or, athle- or athleticism to help a club. All power bat with limited field to hit. Adding power to the system and hoping it hits. Will swing and miss quite a bit. bit. No ceiling. Yeah, I mean, I figured it was backup first baseman in major league role. But I don't know. Sometimes the Mariners did weird things. So I don't know what you had written there. What, I can't. Uh, whatever happened to him? All right. So I looked it up. Um, He... uh. Let me, let me do the player comparison first. All Physical right. description, imposing strength, high-waisted, mature, stiff-bodied, comments, slow twitch, no explosiveness, lumbering movements. Player comparison, Kevin Moss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I apologize to Kevin, but that was the best But get this, this guy actually he did better than what you projected. Well, you do. Matt Snyder was drafted in the 10th round. 
in two thousand in two thousand twelve by the Yankees. Yep, senior sign. He made it all the way to Triple A. That's right. I say he was a backup first baseman in the big leagues. The Yankees at the time didn't have much in their system. Um, he was a guy that was a job guy. I'm sure he produced offensively, played some first base, and you know, yeah, off producing offensively. That's that's up for debate. Well, then he got to Triple A somehow. So was what did he pitch? I mean, no, no, you're right. I will say this: this is not a a, a slight of Matt Snyder. Like the fact that you're even on Jeremy's list, like that's amazing. The fact that you made it to Triple A, I dream of that. Like that's right. that would that was like my life goal. But I mean, he ended up. 245 games in the minor leagues, 20 home runs. I guess what I'm saying is producing offensively what you projected. It's ironic. He wasn't a home run hitter in the minor leagues. His high for one season was five. How many bats did he have in a game? What's the high at bats for him? What was his highest number? His highest at number, a number of bats at a season? Yeah. This is ironic as well. First season, short short season A, Staten Island had 187 at bats. That's the most. That's the most. Had an 825 OPS. So he he that means they weren't a fan. He was a job guy. He filled in for spots somewhere. How many AAA bats did he have? 148. Played 51 games for the New Orleans Baby Cakes. Marlins. Yeah, so he wasn't a Yankee very long. He moved along. Marlins had a job. He went up there and filled the spot. That, that happens. You know, that happens. Devitt Moore was the area scout. <laughs> and I remember this because this was a hill, as we would say, in 2021 that Devitt wanted to die on. And he did not like Anthony Alford at all, like to the point where he thought our boss didn't need to see him. Um, I'm trying to adjust this light for you, Jason, because it keeps coming in. How's that? There you go. Um, it's Anthony Alford. Um, he didn't like him at all, at all. This guy shouldn't, you know, our, our sky directors need to see him. Not very good. I don't know. But Matt Snyder was like, this guy's the best player in the world. I was like, what? You know? And so it was, it was just one of those, believe it or not, our relationship, which there wasn't um, a good one. I think that's fair to say. Um, this was, this was a player that that was over. Like this player had a, this, the argument over Matt Snyder and also the light that the Lord keeps signing on me today was a problem. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, Seriously, it, this, this was the guy, this was out the of, guy this, out this of all was, Jeremy out of hundreds of players on these scouting lists. I come up with this idea and this is the guy, <laughs> this is the guy, this was the guy that we that had causes the fracture. This was the guy. It was like, I want this guy. He's a big leaguer, left-hand hitter, strong, you know, he was a – and look, look. first of all, what Matt Snyder did even to go, go play and play as high as he did is a huge accomplishment. And please don't take this the wrong way if he ever hears this. It's not what I'm saying. That's what I there, said as well. Yeah, there was no upside. There was no ceiling. And, and he's made that – I put that in my report. He's made that clear. He was a, a corner-only positional power guy that had to hit. Um, and when it came to – uh, his production, when it came to his numbers, when it came to what he had to do, if he didn't hit a bunch of home runs, he didn't have anything. That's part of the Kevin Moss comp. We look at a guy like Anthony Alford, had a bunch of different options, athleticism, upside, high school, younger, uh, carrying tools, you name it. And, and this guy didn't have that. And Devitt wanted this guy and didn't like Alford. 
and that was I was like what like that was that was the it was like you know wasn't a confrontation it was like this guy I can't get on board with this guy um versus the other guy so anyway that that was the that was the player that caused the that was the big fracture was Matthew Snyder man I'm telling you even when we don't talk I mean, I didn't, I mean, the only thing I said to you before this podcast was, hey, I've got this idea of maybe looking at some of the players on the bottom of the list. I didn't tell you who it was. Right. I didn't, I didn't even realize the area scout until I just looked at it. That's right. That's right. That's the guy. That was the guy. He was a, he was a famous guy in my scouting history as well. I'll never forget. You know, the one thing I forgot to do today, the timer, the timer. So <laughs> What we'll do is from now on, we're going to time stuff. And then that right. way we're at about four, less than four minutes. But anyways, um, we're going to do a timer. That way we keep on, 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 on track and we're keeping it nice and condensed Yep. for all of our, for, for everyone's sake. Yep. All right. So anything else you want to add? Um, no, I think that's it. That's good for today. <laughs> got some, I got some writing I got to do and send to my editor. So yeah, guess, guess who's, guess who the editor is folks. The same person <laughs> that produces the podcast. <laughs> there goes my day off. Oh boy. All right, everybody till next time. Thanks for listening to extra basis. <laughs>